So today we're beginning Bezad Hashem new Masechet, Masechet Yoma. We're back to Talmud Bavli again. So uh, that makes things more familiar. The page is a little bit more familiar and the flow is a little bit more familiar. There are less uh, differences of, uh, uh, in terms of manuscript versions and things like that. Although even, even in the Bavli you do have that, but uh, it's not as much. And uh, the flow is, is uh, more smooth. Mainly what Bazechet Yomah speaks about, I mean, primarily is, is Yom Kippur, the day. Yomah means the day in, in Aramaic, so it means that it's talking about Yom Kippur. And uh, most of the, uh, the Masechet is taken up with a discussion of the Avodav Yom Kippur, which is very special. And I'll tell you that one of the things that actually this Masechet will help you with and will benefit you is that, I mean, the last parak talks about the Halachot of Yom Kippur as they pertain to our observance today in terms of the fast and what you are or aren't allowed to do on the fast. So that's very halachale maseh practical. But there's another way in which learning Masechet Yomah can benefit a person, which is that one of the highlights of the tefillah of the year is the Avodav Yom Kippur that we recite during the Musaf of Yom Kippur. And for most people, it's like they zone out during that time. They don't really know what it's talking about. It's very obscure. Um, they know the Achat V'Achat, Achat V'Shtayim, Achat V'Shalosh, you know, but they don't really know much about what's going on in there. And this, once you've learned this Masechet, it will really help you to appreciate some of what that uh, section of the Machzor is talking about. That's one of the big benefits of, uh, actually, literally from the beginning, it's the, the Avodav Yom Kippur that's described in the Musaf begins from this first Mishnah, basically. So, um, and, and once you know the Gemara, you'll, it'll be something, you won't remember every detail, probably. I can't say that you won't, but you may not remember every detail, but definitely you'll have a sense of uh, the gist of what's going on, and, and it'll enhance your ability to appreciate that Tfilav Yom Kippur. So the beginning of the Masechet is, Shivat Yamim Kodem Yom Kippurim Afrishin Kohen Gadom Betol Lishkat Paredrin. So seven days before Yom Kippur, they would separate the Kohen Gadol into a special chamber called Lishkat Paredrin, um, we know that the Avodah has to be done exclusively by the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. There is a discussion about whether he has to do every single, uh, every single service of the day or whether thing, only things that pertain to uh, Yom Kippur proper he has to do. But the assumption of most of the Mepharshim is that he had to do everything on that day. Even the regular service of that day, the Korban Tamid and so on, everything had to be done by the Kohen Gadol. Uh, including the special features of Yom Kippur. So for seven days before Yom Kippur, he was separate, he was isolated, he was quarantined. We can use a, a word that's become very, uh, uh, you know, uh, very common nowadays. Not only did he have to uh, separate for seven days in the special uh, place, and it's going to talk more about what he did during those seven days. We'll talk about that. But right now it's just saying that he had to be separated. And they put another Kohen, a backup Kohen, just in case, because maybe the Kohen will become Pasul. And uh, and because he beca- and he becomes pasul at the um, you know at the last minute or becomes tamei and then he can't serve if he doesn't have another person who's a backup who's also separated for the seven days and ready to go then he's not going to be able to that that won't be able to be done now of course the question is we could argue in the devarsof like the tosafot here ask the question I mean okay so what if the second guy becomes uh, tamei or invalid or the third guy I mean how many backups can you have eventually you know the the, the uh, possibility always exists that uh, uh, that that all these kohanim could be uh, pasul but the, uh, the the assumption is you know statistically speaking for one 
one person to become tamei or invalid when we're carefully guarding them for from you know from impurity and so on is uh, unlikely, and for two of them, very unlikely. So therefore, they had a backup kohen for the kohen gadol. Rabbi Yudamer af matkinin lo. They even had another wife for the kohen gadol. Why would he need another wife? Because it says shema tamut ishto. Because the kohen gadol had to be married in order to serve, right? So what would happen if uh, you know his wife would pass away right before Yom Kippur? Now he wouldn't be able to serve as a kohen gadol. So it said because it says vechiper badov ad beto. It says that he has to atone for himself ubead beto and for his household. His household is zoishto. It's referring to his wife. So so therefore, if he's unmarried, what if he becomes a bachelor right before Yom Kippur? What's he going to do? They're not going to be able to. He's not going to be able to serve. So they said to him, "Amrulo imkain." So there they chime in and say, wait a second, if you're going to say that, I mean, uh, any, death is something totally out of our control. So, you know, even if you have a second wife set for him and a third wife, so uh, maybe, uh, you know, they'll also die. I mean, how do you know that they will, they will live? So the, the Gemara will talk about this, but they, they, and there's a Tosafot here that speaks about exactly, you know, why is it that... Um, when it comes to some things, we're worried about that sort of eventuality, and when it comes to other things, we're not worried about it. But Rabbi Yehuda was concerned... And the Gemara will talk about what about what, you know exactly how it worked, but but the point is that um, that he they had a according to the Chachamim they just had a backup kohen according to Rabbi Yehuda he had a backup wife just in case uh, she should die right before Yom Kippur. Now Tananatam we learned. It's going to discuss the details. I don't want to I don't want to give too much because then we're going to read things that we already talked about. Now the Gemara says Tananatam we learned over there. So, so there, was a, there was a similar phenomenon, and actually if you learn the Mishnayot of Parah, you will see that a lot of the features and the halachot of the preparation of the Parah Aduma are similar to the features and the halachot that pertain to the Avodav Yom Kippur, the clothing that is worn, and the preparation as we see here that is done. Um, that the Kohen who's going to do the, uh, the Paraduma has to separate from his house into a special, um, a special chamber that was on the, literally means on the face of the Birah. The Birah is going to discuss exactly what that means, okay, and it, which was to the northeast, okay, um, it was to the northeast and, and it was called the, the, the chamber of the uh, Beta Even, of the rock. Okay, why did they call it the chamber of the house of rock? Because everything they did there was with vessels made of substances that were not mekabel tumah. Whether it was um, dung, okay, avanim uh, is rock, and adama is earth. In other words, that they, they made sure they didn't make it into earthenware because obviously earthenware would be mekabel tumah. Once they bake it into actual earthenware, it would be like klicheres. It's saying that they would use like hard mud as a vessel. So the point was that it was, they used very primitive kinds of uh, kelim for this kohen because they're not mekabel tumah. In other words, to show how distant he is from any kind of tumah. Okay, now why did they do that? It says, the reason why is a maitama. Since technically, and this was a big machloket between the tzadokim, who were the people that didn't believe in Tosh Peh, and the rabbis, that the tzadokim believed. Well, actually, I'll let the Gemara say it for itself. They used to purposely make the kohen, after all of these things, after seven days of uh, separating to be pure, they would take him and purposely make him tamei with some minor kind of a tum'ah, 
Um, it wasn't uh, like the Tosafot says on the side. Love betuma deoraita mitamule. They didn't, you know, they didn't use a take a biblical type of tuma, a light kind of a tuma, a rabbinic tuma. But they made him tamei and then put him in the mikveh. After all of that, why? Because according to the tzadokim, you had to be, you had to not only go to the mikveh, but you had to wait your full day till the next day to do the to do the avodah. Meaning, according to the chachamim, once you were at tevulyom, we know what tevulyom. Tavulyom is somebody who was Tame that day, and they went to the mikveh, but they have to wait for the nightfall. Okay, this is, is so the tzaddikim said that's not enough. In other words, if he became Tame a one day tumah and he went to the mikveh, that's not enough to be able to do the para aduma. He has to wait till the next day, like any other uh, person who needed to become tahor, right? But remember, the para aduma is not done in the Beit Hamikdash. Right, so even so, it's it's done outside. So really, he would be, you know, he doesn't have to go into the Beit Hamikdash. But the Tzadokim said he has to be tahor because it says throughout that parasha, "Ve'asaf ish tahor et efer apara." It always says tahor, tahor, tahor. It always says it has to be a tahor person. So the Chachamim said, as soon as the person goes to the mikveh for this purpose, they're tahor. Tzadokim said, no, he has to go. He has to wait till the nightfall till he's fully tahor, and then he can do it. So therefore, they purposely made the kohen a tevul yom to show we don't care about what you think the halacha is. You know, we, you're wrong. So we're just going to make the kohen tamei, make him go to the mikveh, and right afterwards it comes the paraduma. After all of that, so takinu la rabanan kleglalim kleavanim kleadama delale kablutuma. So what did they do for those seven days? They went to the other extreme. They brought him things in, in vessels made of dung or rock or dirt. That they don't become tamei. Meaning, once the rabbis, in other words, they had to balance the two factors. Because on one hand, they want to show that the, ko- the Kohen, of course, has to be Tahor. The Torah says explicitly numerous times, it refers to the person who's doing the service of the, uh, of the Paraduma as Ish Tahor. He has to be pure. Right, so if that if he if he has to be tahor, so then he obviously can't be tamei. But um, so therefore they went to an extreme, guarding his purity. That everything he used during those seven days was something that was not susceptible to tumah, so he wouldn't have any even possibility of becoming tamei from anything. But then on the other, at the same time, they wanted to make sure that nobody believed what the tzaddokim said that he had to be so tahor that even if he was tamei a one day tumah, he went to the mikveh that he wouldn't be able to do the paraduma. They didn't want people to believe that. So therefore, they made him tamei with a minor tumah that day that he did the paraduma, and then go to the mikveh and then come. So, but they didn't want people then to say, "Well, if you're making him tamei and then let him go to the mikveh, maybe it doesn't matter if he's tamei or tahor because you're treating it so lightly." So they said, "No, we're going to be so strict on one hand, but then at the last minute, give him a little bit of tumah just to show that we." don't believe in what the Tzadokim say. Now, why was that particular chamber on the northeast corner? Because since the Torah calls the Paraduma Chatat, a sin offering, and we know throughout the Torah that you always have to, uh, you always have to uh, uh, slaughter a Chatat. Any Chatat service has to be done to the north of the, um, in the, in the Bet HaMikdash. And it also says that when you prepare the Paraduma, you have to be facing Oel Moed. And we know that Oel Moed is to the, is to the west. So if you're facing all Moed, that means you're to the east, right? So it says to the, so you're facing the west means you're at the east. So you have to be the northeast then because that symbolizes that, that since it's a Chatar, it has to be to the north. Since it has to face the Kodesh HaKodeshim, it has to be to the east. So the northeast. So therefore, in order to show that that was done, Rashi explains, So Rashi says it really was psychological for the Kohen, that he should realize the significance of what he was going to do. 
that this was that he was going to prepare the parah duma was a very serious undertaking, and therefore the fact that he had to stay in a chamber was to the north reminds him that it's it's called a chatat by the Torah, and the fact that it's to the east facing the Kodesh Hakodeshim reminds him also of the sanctity and the specialness of the parah duma, so that he should be zariz, he should be very careful and very aware of what he's doing and prepared mentally. It sounds like because it says you know that uh, because it says that means that he should have full attention to what he's doing. It prepares him mentally for the process. Now, my bi'ura, what does it mean to the northeast of the bi'ura? What's the bi'ura? There was actually a location called bi'ura on the Harabait, on the Temple Mount. There was a separate location called bi'ura, not it, it, not something that you've heard before. No, the entire mikdash is called bi'ura. Because it uses that term in the Navi to refer to the Beit Hamikdash, it calls it the bi'ura. That's that's in Devarei Yamim, right? So it calls it the bi'ura. So according to according to Rabbi Yochanan. Bira is a location, a specific location, not necessarily the Beit Hamikdash, but a off-site location that's on Harabait. According to Reish Lakish, it's talking about the Beit Hamikdash itself when it says Bira. There's a northeast chamber of the Beit Hamikdash that in which the Kohen would be um, housed, who was preparing for the uh, Paraduma. It doesn't have to be the Kohen Gadol in that case. In fact, it talks about it being Elazar Kohen um, even before uh, even before Aaron died. So, uh, but it, but it's a Kohen now. The um, where do we get this idea that uh, that the Kohen has to separate for seven days before officiating in uh, for the Yom Kippur? Where do we get this concept from? Is there a source? Now, this is actually a reference to the Shivat Yemea Milu'im. This is a reference to the preparation of Aaron when, when Aaron and his sons were installed, as it were, in the, uh, uh, in the Avodah of, um, of, uh, of the Mishkan. So the process of their installation, which actually was in last week's parasha, believe it or not, so it's, it's very timely, right? So that process of installation was seven days of... Uh, of uh, s- staying in the Beit in the Mishkan, and sort of like uh, being fully focused on what they were doing, and then Bayom Hashemini, that's the conclusion of that process, right? Bayom Hashemini is the conclusion of that process. So, in the in the previous parasha, at the end of the pre- the previous parasha of Tzav, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu says this: that oh, this is what Hashem commanded to prepare you um, and to install you as Kohanim and and, and to uh, consecrate you as Kohanim, that you have to spend these seven days, and then on the eighth day, finally, you go officiate yourself. So, in the same way, for seven days, the Kohanim are going to wait. And, uh, and they are going to, uh, I'm sorry, the Kohen Gadol really is going to wait and he's going to prepare himself. And then on the eighth day, it's going to be Yom Kippur. That's when he's actually going to serve. So it's modeled after the consecration of the Kohanim. Now we're going to see there's another interpretation of this, but this interpretation is basically saying that it's modeled after the consecration of the Kohanim. Just like the Beit HaMikdash is kind of like being renewed and purified on Yom Kippur, the Kohanim are also like rededicated. It's, so the Kohen Gadol, by sitting there for the seven days, like rededicating the Kohen Gadol each year. That's what it's based upon. Now the Pasuk says, like you have done on this day, that like you have done on this day, Hashem commanded you to atone for you. The word para. So these are so the, the Gemara is learning out. That means seven days also a separation for preparing the parahdumah. And means yom In other words, why did Moshe Rabbeinu have to say this general statement? Oh, this thing that I've de- that you're doing, Hashem commanded to atone for you. Why does he have to say that? It seems obvious from the context. 
context what it is. So the, the Gemara is saying it's extra words. These extra phrases are to say that there are other circumstances where you would also have a seven-day isolation. One is to prepare para aduma. The other one is to uh, do the Yom Kippur Avodah. Now, now we understand why you can't say that Lasot the Chaper Alechem is referring only to the para to exclude Yom Kippur because. It says kapara or para lav bat kapara. And the para duma is not a kapara. It's about uh, purification. It's not about uh, atonement. So lechaper alechem can't refer to the para duma. Ella ema kulek rabbi yom kippurim ketiv. But why can't we say? that the entire thing is referring only to Yom Kippur. Why do you say that there's also, for the para aduma has to be a special preparation? Maybe the seven days of waiting is only for Yom Kippur. Maybe there is no need to do it for para aduma. Amre, they said, Yalif, Tziva, Tziva. They said, you know what? It's Egzera Shava from the word Tziva, because Ketiva, Chat, Tziva, Hashem, Lasot. It says here, Hashem committed you to do this. Uchtivatam, Zot, Chukat, Torah, Shot, Tziva, Hashem. Lemor. This is a pasuk from the beginning of Chukat that we read from Parashat Para. Right? That it, Hashem commanded it. Just like over there it's talking about the para when it says Tiva, Moshe Rabbein was also alluding to the para here. Okay? So, Omakan Trisha. And just like here with the Kohanim, when he says Hashem commanded you here for seven days of isolation before you assume the role of the, Kohan, of the Kohanim. So, so, just like that, Afralan Trisha. So, too, there when it says Hashem commanded this, when it's talking about para it means that Hashem commanded you also to separate the Kohen who's going to do the para seven days prior to doing it. Now, we turn to Amud Bet. Why do you have to assume, why do you have to bring in the para aduma here? Yom Kippur, we get it. It's a day of great holiness with the para aduma. Why? Because maybe the tziva is also referring to Yom Kippur. Because it says he did according to what Hashem commanded Moshe. And that's actually in Parshat Acharemot when it talks about the Avodah Yom Kippur at the end. That he did according to what Hashem commanded Moshe. So what's the, uh, so why maybe say that that's, that also the word tziva Hashem is only referring to Yom Kippur because the word tziva also appears by Yom Kippur. So it says, no, no, no. Because because this says Tziva Hashem Lasot That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said for the Shivat Yemei Amiluim, the seven days of the installation of the Kohanim. He said Tziva Hashem Lasot. The word Tziva, then the word Lasot. Here it says Kasher. It says Vayaas. He did Kasher Tziva Hashem. The Laasot is coming before. In other words, it's not a description, a simpler way to say it. That's, that's technically, it's the order in the pasuk, right? Because in one pasuk, it says, Tziva Hashem Lasot, and the word Tziva, command, comes before the word Lasot to do. Here, Vayas Kasher Tziva, means that the word Lasot, the, the, the doing, Vayas, comes before the word command. Okay, but, there's a, but a, 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 another way of looking at it is that Tziva Hashem Lasot is the future. In other words, it's saying Hashem commanded you to do this. Whereas, Vayas, Kasher Tzivah Moshe is just describing he already did it. He did according to what Moshe told him. It's not a command. Okay? So, we don't compare those two things. So, since only in the case of, in other words, since the word Tziva in the case of uh, a para aduma is also a command, 
for the future. So we're saying Tziva Hashem Lasot, and when Moshe Rabbeinu was talking about the installation of the Kohanim, is referring to the Para Aduma as well, and saying you need this kind of separation for Para Aduma as well. That part is not referring to Yom Kippur. Lechaper Alechem is referring to Yom Kippur. Okay. Ve'emat Tziva de Korbanot. Maybe the Tziva here is referring to all Korbanot. How do you know it's only the Para Aduma? Why are you being so, so limited? Because Dichtiv Biyom Tzavotot Bnei Israel, when it speaks about the summary of all the different Korbanot, it says, the Biyom Tzavotot Bnei Israel, Right, that, that uh, Hashem command, these are the uh, that when on the day that Hashem commanded the various korbanot, it says tzavotot ben Israel. So and and lehakrivet korbanahem. So there, the doing is coming after the tziva. So why can't you say that it's referring to all uh, all korbanot? Why does it have to be only the korbanot of the uh, or only the para aduma? Why should that be? So it says danin. Um, and that's why I think that the re- the main point is not that the la'asot, the main point is that the command comes after, in other words, that the doing comes after the, co- the word command, that it's a future. Because in, the wor- in that pasuk it says, it doesn't say the word la'asot. Right? So it's saying that to do comes after the tziva. So that's, so wh- wh- why don't we connect it to that? It says no, because, uh, we're not gonna use that because, danin tziva mitziva ve'in danin tzavoto mitziva. The language is not exactly the same. It's not the word tziva, it's the word tzavoto. That's something else. It's not really something else, but it's not the exact same form. So we're only gonna restrict it to where the form is exactly the same. It says tziva, uh, in the case of para aduma, says that tziva here. Okay, umay nafkamina. What's different? It's a tzira shava. So umay nafkamina. So this is more similar, but you are sometimes able to learn from vayelech behevo, yes? It's coming next. You just have to wait one second. Omai nafkamina. What's the difference? Vatana advei Rabbi Ishmael. It's Rabbi Ishmael's yeshiva taught as follows. V'shavu kohen u'ba'kohen. Sometimes the word is totally different. V'shavu kohen u'ba'kohen. It's not the same thing. Not even the same word. Shavba. Not the same. Okay. And what do we say? Zoi shiva, zoi biyan. Yet they make exerah shavu between the two. Exactly what you say, right? So that, in other words, sometimes you don't have to even have the same verb. And they can make Xerah Shabbat because they said the same thing he does when he comes the first time, he said, comes the second time, he has to do the same things. They made Xerah Shabbat between the two even though the language is not the same at all. So you're telling me you can't go from Tzivah to Tzavoto, but you could go from Shav and Ba. It's not the same word. So it says, ah, hani They're always the same answer, by the way. Always the same answer. Right? That's only where there's nothing similar. Right? When we don't have a similar example that's exactly the same, so we, we can make a Shava between two things that are not exactly the same. But when we have an exact copy, why would we go for something that's not an exact copy? In other words, why would we go from Tziva to Tzavoto when we can go from just Tziva to Tziva and it's exactly the same thing? If it's not exactly the same thing anyway and it's imperfect analogy anyway, so then you have some leeway. But when you have a perfect analogy, why would you also extend it to something where there's an imperfect match? So therefore, we're only saying para aduma. That's the bottom line. Now, lechaper elomasi so he said the word lechaper alechem. It's referring to Yom Kippur that they have to do this type of seven days of uh, uh, of preparation before Yom Kippur. How do you know it's only talking about Yom Kippur? Maybe it's talking about all korbanot. The problem is, how would you do that? You don't know which kohen is going to serve on a particular day to bring the korban. Because remember, each day they have a lottery. They decide who's going to do this, who's going to do that, who's going to do that. So, you know, uh, how would you be able to, uh, how would you be able to do that? To have a seven-day preparation, you don't know who it's going to be. Kohen uh, Gadol, you know who it's going to be. 
If you pick somebody to do paradama, you know what it's going to be. But on any day, they, if they had to do any korbanot, they had to have seven days of prisha. How are you going to know which the kohen is that's going to do it? So it says, oh, we'll tell you an answer. Amrei alam aloni baile prisha le Very simple. This will be an answer because you have every week one mishmeret shel kohanim. Right? Every week, they have 24 mishmarot. So each week, they rotate, right? So, for, so each one goes twice a year, basically. Every 24 weeks, they go through the cycle in 24 weeks. And then there's chagim. So basically, when they all serve. But the point is that you have... so, And each day of that week, one bit'av goes. One family from among that watch is serving that day, right? So just, all right, you know who's going to be on Sunday, right? Okay, so tell them separate for seven days before. You know it's going to be on Monday, right? Tell them seven days before you have to separate. So Wednesday. And then by the time you get up to their week, each one is going to be ready in time. So what's the problem? Why don't you do it the week in advance? This way you know in advance. Well, they don't do the... The lottery. No, no, they do. They do. That's what it's saying. In other words, they know who's going to be Sunday, who's going to be Monday. They know. That's what I'm saying. Why can't they just do the seven days before that? What's the problem? It says no. Then, so, so that's a good point. We could solve it that way. But because we're talking about, in other words, we want to. We're, we're talking about something shekavolozman. In other words, it's something special. It's something unique. Not an everyday thing. This seven days of prisha was done for the dedication of the mishkan and the installation of the kohanim. We're not going to just say, well, you need to do that for everyday korbanot. That's ex- that doesn't it doesn't match. You do it for something that's unique. That's once a year. That's special. You don't do it. For the everyday, so it says. Why shouldn't they have to do it for the three regalim then? Why can't you do it for the three holidays? So they said, well, we we compare something that's done once to something that's done once. Now, bashana is not exactly true because they didn't dedicate the the kohanim and install the kohanim once a year. They did it once. But the point is that something that's done once we commemorate once a year, not. Four times a year or three times a year, with you know, adding on additional examples. So it says, Maybe there's one holiday and it's not Yom Kippur. Right? Maybe you'll say, We don't know which one, so what are we going to do? Maybe it should be Pesach, because that's the first holiday. Maybe you'll say, no, it's Sukkot, because there's so many mitzvot on Sukkot. You have Mulav, you have Sukkah, you have Arava, you have Nisucham, so much. Maybe that's what the Kohen should have to prepare for, right? So, so in other words, once you get into that, you can make all kinds of suggestions about which holiday it should be. So it says, Ela danin Rather, what we do is we compare seven days of preparation for one big day to seven days of preparation for one big day. So in the case of the Kohanim in the times of Moshe and Aaron, seven days were preparation for Yom HaShmini, the big day that they assumed the responsibility of becoming Kohanim. They didn't have to do that every day after that, obviously, and keep having seven days of separation every time. They didn't do that. They did it one time for the one day thing. If you did it for Pesach, you're talking about a seven-day um, uh, a seven-day uh, preparation for a seven-day Chag. It doesn't match, right? So that's why they said it must be Yom Kippur, the one day, okay? But right, right. So it says so. Prishat Yom Echad Ve'Indanim Prishat Shiva Shiva, right? We're not going to learn that a person has to, and aside from the fact that you wouldn't be able to choose which Chag it's going to be, because you could argue Pesach is most important. You could say, no, in terms of being primary, Pesach is the most fundamental holiday. But in terms of the number of mitzvot, maybe Sukkot, 
Forget that. It's seven days. We're not talking about a seven-day holiday. We're talking about a one-day. So it's Yom Kippur. What about Shemini Atzeret? Oh, so what about that? That Prishat Shevali Yom Echadu will tell the person that they have to isolate. Of course, they're going to have a very rotten Sukkot if they have to do that. They have to, they're going to be sitting in, a, in, the, in some stone... <laughs> Uh, chamber, no, but they have to uh, they have to stay there for seven days, right? The prishat shoyu lechanu. Danin devar she'en kedusha lefanav, mi devar she'en kedusha lefanav, ve'en danin devar she'en kedusha lefanav, mi devar she'en kedusha lefanav. We're not talking about an eighth day that comes at the end of a seven day holiday. We're talking about an eighth. Day, we're talking about a day that is ice that is in and of itself special, not a day that it comes after seven days of kiddusha. So just because the seven days of the dedication of the mishkan were leading up to that eighth day, where the kohanim would, there was nothing uniquely special about the first seven days. Those were just days that they were pre- preparing, and then the eighth day was the big day. If you had shmini atzeret, it comes at the end of seven days of chag already. So you, you can't compare shmini atzeret to uh, the case of the kohanim. But yom kippur you could. Because there's nothing, you know, I mean, Asarati Mechuvah is special, but it doesn't have Kiddusha. Holiness in the same way. No, I'll argue the other way. I'll say if something that is that doesn't have any holiness before it requires such preparation, maybe Shmini Atzeret should require even more. Because since the fact is that it only comes after seven days of Kiddusha, maybe that makes it even higher than Yom Kippur, and therefore the Kohanim should have to have a special separation before that. So Amarav Mishashia, he says, Lo Hazeketiv. So he says, in the in the case of uh, in the case of uh, uh, of the dedication, it says the word meaning it has to be kaze. It has to be exactly the same as this. So in the what does that mean? Meaning that in the we don't make a kalvachomir. In other words, we don't say oh if for something where there was no specialness to the days before they weren't holy days. We said on the eighth day that he has to they had to prepare for that eighth day even though there was no holiness before. So definitely in Sukkot where it's seven days of holiness and then the eighth day is going to be super special. They should have their preparation. Says no, it ha- we're talking about a situation that's similar to the case of the midbar where there is no spe- we don't make a kalvachomir. We're comparing it exactly to the case of the midbar. Exactly. Because it's haze and it's haze. So it has to be exactly like this. says a more logical argument. He says, it doesn't make any sense that Shmini Sukkot, which is the main holiday, doesn't require any preparation before. But Shmini which is only a tag onto the end of Sukkot, it's going to require a separate, it's going to require a Prisha of seven days. Even according to the one that says Shmini Regal which we do say, we say that Shmini Atzeret is a separate holiday, right? But that's only that's only Linyan Pazir Keshev. So this is these are things that are that distinguish. I'll explain each one of them in a second. But when it comes to making up for Sukkot, Shmini Atzeret is not really an independent holiday because basically, if a person wasn't able to bring their um, sacrifice during the seven days of the Sukkot, they can bring it on Shemini Yatzeret. It's Tashlubi the Rishonu. The Hatnan. Mi shelo chag v'yom tov harishon shel chag chogeg v'olech kol v'egol kolo v'yom tov acharon shel chag. So the so what is it? Pazir kashev. So that these are the things that make Shemini Yatzeret a separate holiday. And we know, look from the Torah itself, it's Bayom Hashemini. Bayom Hashemini of what? Of Sukkot. It's not Bayom Hashemini of the of the month. When it calls it Bayom Hashemini about Shemini Yatzeret, it's talking about the eighth day of Sukkot. 
we don't call it the eighth day of Sukkot. It has its own identity. That's what he's saying. But really, it wouldn't exist if it were not for the Sukkot before, because it's even called the Yom Hashmini. It's not called the twenty second of you know of uh, of uh, Tishrei. It's called the it's called the eighth day of Sukkot. So and what is Pazer Kashev? So it says Pais Latzmo. First of all, um, because they didn't do. Um, they didn't do a lottery to distrib- distribute the um, the the avodah of uh, of uh, Sukkot because there was so much to do that basically all of the mishmarot participated. Everybody participated um, on Sukkot and everybody was needed. So it had its own lottery for for shmini atzeret. It had that's what the pay is in pais. Um, and then Zayin of Pazir is Zman La'atzmo, we say Shechayanu. And the Resh is Regel La'atzmo, meaning that we don't call it Sukkot, we call it a different name. And Kuf, Rashi says the Kuf is, refers to Korban La'atzmo, it has a totally different Korban, meaning the Korbanot of, of Sukkot, they follow a certain order, right? They have that same exact order again and again with, the, you know, only um, one change is happening along the way, but basically each time, uh, you know, it's the same uh, it's the same pattern. Shemini Atzeret has its own thing, which is basically the same as like uh, uh, the same Musaf as other Chagim. It's not. It doesn't follow the pattern of um, of the uh, fourteen Kvasim and and everything that uh, that you have on uh, on uh, on Sukkot. And then um, because it only has Shiva Kvasim, right? It, it's because on, on Sukkot it's it's uh, fourteen, right? Uh, right. Yeah. Um, oh, he says, hmm? um, right. Right here, you have parachad ayelachad shivak kvasim. Right, so it's a regular. It's a regular. Now, um, uh, and then oh, the, the shin is shir latzmo. It has its own shir shel yom. Um, Rashi says he doesn't know what it is. He says that we know that the days of Cholamoid had um, had a uh, song. We say lamnatech ala sheminit for sheminiyatzeret. The Tosafot brings that, but uh, Rashi didn't know of that, I guess. And uh, and so therefore, but but then and then the um, so it, that's the uh, and the bet is the bracha, which Rashi says is the bracha that they would they would say a bracha to bless the king. On, that's what he says the bet is. But I, I remember the Tosafot has a different understanding of the bet, doesn't he? Mm. Oh, that he says that, you, that, that the bet is that, uh, that it has bracha b'fnei atzmo, I think, right? Which bracha? Oh, no, but Tosefta mashmash v'archin et amelech. He says that the, he brings from the Tosefta that there is. Right. Right, that you say a different. A Why? Different Maybe we call it Shmini. We say it has a different name. Right, that the same thing as the it name. Sounds like the same thing. Yeah, it sounds like the same thing. I remember there being another. Uh, it's also somewhere. Maybe it's not here. Had a different take on that. But uh, by the way, the point is that these are differences. That even though there are differences, wh- whether it's talking about the name or it's talking about the different filah that we change it, or it's talking about the bracha that they gave the king. Either way, the is point is that there are features again? that uh, well, there's features that you that are that make it distinct. But that doesn't mean that it's not a tafel in a certain way to sukkot. It's still a, considered an ending, a conclusion of sukkot. To the point that if a person, let's say, failed to bring their korban that they're supposed to bring on, on Sukkot, they're allowed to uh, bring it on the eighth day. 
um, because it is Shmini, because it's the it's a conclusion of Sukkot. So therefore, we're not going to call that one day that stands alone, that you have a seven-day preparation for that one day. It's not one day that stands alone. It's one day that comes after seven days of Kiddushah. So we're going to continue tomorrow to see what are the other suggestions. The Gemara tries to refute this idea that it has to be Yom Kippur, or I should say really prove why it has to be Yom Kippur and not any other day. We'll see.